Welcome to Sabbath School for May 2, 2020. Again, we have another fantastic lesson we're going to dive into just in a bit about how to interpret Scripture and specifically what does it mean to have sola Scripture, believe in the Bible alone, and a lot of depth and a lot of meat there to get into. But before we do that, we of course need to have our mission program. And this week's mission spotlight from around the world is highlighting Adventist World Radio. Check it out. I used to hate the Adventists. If they had evangelistic series, I would throw stones on the roof. One day, Sihalava watched as many beautiful young ladies walked into the Adventist meetings. An idea popped into his head. I need a good wife, he thought. Maybe I can find one here. He entered the meeting and sitting in the back surveyed his options. One girl stood out to him, and after the meeting, he introduced himself. I didn't tell her about my bad past, and I started praying to impress her. We were married soon after, but instead of marriage and a beautiful wife fixing my problems, things got worse. Sihalavo had a criminal record which caught up to him, and after being found guilty of murder, he was placed on the most wanted list. Realizing his situation, Sihalavo fled to a remote forest. He lived here for four years. I was living like an animal in the woods. I had made a mess of my life and felt like there was no hope for me. Like the prodigal son who realized he had nothing to lose, Sihalavo ventured out of the forest. Knowing his family had surely abandoned him, he went to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. An elder met him and assured Sihalavo that his place was in the church and he was always welcome. These words brought a glimmer of hope to his heart. Though the church elder was very welcoming, the other members avoided me. My past began to haunt me again, and in fear, I returned to the woods. But this time, Sihalavo took something with him to the woods. A radio. This was his only connection to the outside world, and he listened eagerly to different programs. One day, he stumbled across an AWR broadcast. The words stirred his soul, and he began to fall in love with the Jesus who would forgive a sinner like him. Excited about his new friend Jesus, Sihalavo began inviting other thieves and criminals in the area to come and hear the AWR programs too. Convinced of their salvation through the blood of Jesus, Sihalavo and 15 other ex-criminals came out of the woods and were baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Together with my friends who were once thieves, 
we built a church where we all worshiped together on Sabbath. Today, Sihalavo also leads out in a small group study where they listen to AWR programs and pray together. Sihalavo preaches like John the Baptist wherever he goes and is often called apostle by those who know him. AWR changed my life. Through it, I found forgiveness and hope. So exciting to see how things are working around the globe for this great Adventist movement. But as we remind ourselves each week, the global mission is not just foreign, it's in our territory too. And so for our Michigan perspective on mission, this week we have Brother Jeremy Hall, who is our superintendent of education in the Michigan Con uh, Conference. And might I add, has the best beard in the conference office. It's an honor to have you here, <laughs> oh, sir. I don't know about that. If you can't grow it on your head, you got to grow it on your face. I oh, guess. mercy. Let's not get into it. Okay. <laughs> now, we are in a unique time for Adventist education, for sure. But before we dive into the particulars of the coronavirus situation, tell us about Adventist education in Michigan as a whole. What, what is the scope of its reach? Sure. Well, first of all, I just want to say a huge thank you to all of our churches, all of our constituents, our pastors uh, who are supporting Adventist education and what they're doing, especially right now, but even before that, it's a team effort. And so we very much appreciate the support that we receive from our churches. We couldn't do it without you. And then of course our teachers, so mm. grateful for all of our teachers who are working so hard right now. We have, uh, Pastor DeVazier, we have uh, 35 schools, okay. K to 12, all across the state from Metro Detroit, all the way up to Bessemer, Michigan, which <laughs> is an eight hour drive from our conference office. Mm. We have about 1600 students approximately, mm. um, just over a hundred teachers. Um, so wow. it keeps us busy and we're blessed. So it's not just a few schools here and there, but there's literally a field full of schools and students there's, and teachers that you're having to administer right yes, now. Yes, there is. We have uh, day academies. We have four day academies, one, uh, three day academies, one boarding school. We have six junior academies, and then we have about 18 one-room schools. Wow, uh, all it really scattered does. Across, yeah, yeah, urban to rural. Wow, it's incredible. Yeah. Now, with all that variety, it must be difficult to manage even in the best of times, or a challenge at least. Yeah. But right now, we're in a particularly interesting time we with are. the coronavirus situation. How has Adventist education adapted to that? Or is the school year just kind of written off and we'll pick it up next year? Like, what's happening now? <laughs> no, we are, it's a great question. We are carrying on. <clears throat> the Lord has been so good to us because before the governor actually came to a point where she felt she needed to close the face-to-face -face learning, mm -hmm. <clears throat> we had been thinking about the need we would potentially have to have distance education. And so our teachers and our schools were planning already for a distance learning delivery system. And so when we heard the news that uh, things were going to be shut down for, at that time, a temporary period of time, mm -hmm. our teachers were already pivoting, already mm. thinking and planning. And I just want to also add, usually when you, when you have an online learning platform, 
you're looking at months of training. You're looking at opportunities to test. You're looking at opportunities to practice and trial run things. Our yeah. teachers were pivoting in a matter of days. And so it's just a testament to God looking out for us in our school system. And so we've pivoted to this online learning program. It was going to be a couple of weeks. Now, of course, it's through the rest of this school year, mm. uh, so the end of May. And we've counted all of these days as instructional days. Um, and so we're, we're trying to do the best that we can to deliver a quality program that's meaningful for our families. And I will tell you that more than the academics, more than making sure that we meet all of the benchmarks, those things are important. The most important function of an Adventist teacher, regardless of if we're on a distance learning platform or face-to-face -face with our students, the most important role a teacher plays is to be a missionary for Christ mm. to the life of a student. It's a spiritual work. Mm. That is the very foundation of what Adventist education was birthed to do. Mm. And so we're trying to really dive deeply into the heart of what Adventist education is supposed to be. And we illustrate that in three keys, bringing students to the foot of the cross, having quality at all levels, and training our young people in the message and the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, and now, since we are, <laughs> our teachers are at, at their homes delivering an online education to their families in whatever context works for them in their specific location, because everywhere's different. Yeah. They are now having an opportunity to go inside the homes of these, <laughs> of these students. And they're a face of consistency. They're a face huh. of constancy for these kids who probably have a lot of questions that they're asking about the times we're living in and what's going on around us. Mm -hmm. They get to see that Adventist teacher uh, four days a week. Wow. Um, so, so maybe powerful. So while there's distancing physically and you can't have the you know regular right. school program, but there is still a connection, maybe even to a greater extent yes. into the home life. Of the, so it's Absolutely. a new dynamic. It's a totally new dynamic. And it is really bringing our teachers into a position where they are postured to really speak a word to these families because wow. now it's it's expanded out to the, to the parents even. So the educational part is yes. still going with the students, but their mission yes. part, that yes. that ministry, yes. it, because you know it is, it's a fact. It's not just a business that we have no. Adventist schools. We're just that there's a part of the conference work and the parallel with the church structure. Right. It's an extension of church work. It's a mission. Amen. And so to have that now even more to the family provides a whole new dynamic. Amen. I view Adventist education as an important part of the evangelistic work that the church is carrying forward till Jesus fascinating, comes. Fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. Now, now, with the time we have remaining, what are, do you anticipate, and obviously you're not the prophet nor the son of a prophet, right. but looking ahead, what do you hope or what do you are trying to take away from the COVID lessons mm -hmm. uh, and the new situation you found yourself in now? Will things, is this a temporary thing just to go back to the normal? And if that's so, that's fine. Or are there things you can draw out of this circumstance that you can go forward with into the future? Sure, great question. I think we would be short-sighted to think that everything's going to go back to what we would call normal. I, I hope and pray that we will continue to have the brick-and-mortar opportunities because our phenomenal teacher-student ratio, that personal interaction with yeah. the students, is something you can't replicate online. However, we are looking at this crisis as an incredible opportunity. Okay. What this has done for us, it is, it's put our schools in a position where they have had to learn quickly how to do things a little bit different. And in the age that we're in right now, and with the challenges that we see around us, this is providing an opportunity to figure out ways to reach more students mm. in Adventist education. 
and it also is providing opportunities for us to enhance the quality of what we're doing because now with this Zoom platform and the mm -hmm. Google Classroom and Meet and some of those kinds of things, we can bring in experts in specific areas and teachers can can enhance what they're what they're providing to the students on all fronts, spiritual, mm -hmm. academic, social, what have you. So we're going to be meeting actually today. Okay. Uh, well, not, not today as far as the Sabbath. <laughs> yeah, but the day of filming. The day of sure. filming, yeah. yes. We're going to be meeting with uh, a couple of people in our department to look at ways that we can capitalize on this learning experience that we're going through. Mm -hmm. And that will help us then think forward to how we can deliver Adventist education in an even better way going, going into the future. So you're optimistic in the sense that not only will you survive this, but Adventist education could actually thrive if we were to learn the lessons from it and expand its footprint both sure. quantitatively but qualitatively sure. as well. I'm praying so. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I know you had Thank to go you. over to another meeting, but we're so for glad sure. that you could spend some time with us. And we just want to make an appeal to you, friends, that get involved with those local ministries, especially the Adventist education ministry in your local area. Be a part of what's going on, and we can all be missionaries for Jesus across our territory that he's given yeah. us. Thanks Thank you. Again. Appreciate it. All right. So we've seen Adventist World Radio working around the world with Global Mission. We've talked about Adventist education right here in the Michigan Conference with all of the different aspects and uh, circumstances they're facing right now. But now we want to talk about personal ministry, and we have Pastor Wes Peppers with us. Now, Pastor Peppers, last time you were here, we were talking about this big digital evangelism program that was soon to come, and now we're several weeks later. First of all, let's have an update. What has, what's been happening with that? Sure. Well, across the NAD, there's been about 70,000 people, more than that actually, that have registered and been viewing the series. Wow. Right here in Michigan, the numbers just continue to climb. Mm. We were at about 6,000, then we jumped to 9,000. Now, I just talked to a guy this morning, and he says upwards of 14,000 people Whoa. have registered and viewed the series. So we have a lot of names mm. that are being distributed to the churches and to the pastors and the lay people. We're following those up. It's been very exciting. Okay, so we're several weeks in. I, you know, I, in this day and age, I kind of lose track of what day of the week we're in right now and everything. But this series has been going, and there's a, there's a, it's coming to a conclusion in the near future. So what happens then as we transition from the event itself, the online evangelism program? Uh, you mentioned, I mean, literally thousands of interests. Mm -hmm. What what do you do with all those? Sure, sure. Well, right now, I'm very excited that there's a lot of lay people that are following up on these names. So there's, even if we tried to get the pastors to do it by themselves, they couldn't. There's yeah. just too many names. What a great problem to have. It's a great problem to have, and yeah. there are lay people that are just stepping up. And right now, they are calling people, they are emailing people, they are texting people because of the, you know, the social distancing right. restrictions or whatever. But the time's going to come. We're about 20% into the meetings, 25%. Okay. The meetings end on May 16th. But the time is going to come when we want to encounter those people face to face, mm. and so we're going to, you know, potentially visit them, uh, sit with them, invite them to church, mm -hmm. and we especially want to start offering them Bible studies because as they've gone through the series, they're still going to be excited, they're still going to be hungry, they're going to still want to study the Bible, they're going to have unanswered questions, they may even have some disagreements that we need mm -hmm. to hash through with them in the yeah. Scripture. So that personal Bible study from the members is very important through Bible study offer, um, not just mailing the lessons. There, sometimes that's okay, mm -hmm. but we want that personal face-to-face -face interaction with them. Interesting. So you've seen through this that people aren't just watching online and then just disappearing into the, you know, the who knows where of the internet. 
that there is currently follow-up work going on with, you said texting and emailing right. and that kind of phone calls. But even that, by God's grace, when this meeting comes to a close, because you mentioned May 16, and it's mm-hmm. interesting here in Michigan, uh, well, as it stands now, the distancing will kind of be lifted right. and eased around May right. 15. So about the same time, we'll yes. have more access to visit with people. That's These right. meetings will come to a close. So it could be very well a beautiful transition from the digital connection to the personal connection. That's right. And so um, looking at that, what... Is the goal then to have these people who have been texting and emailing, these lay members, invite these people to church and then hopefully the church will pick the ball up there? What will be the role of the individual going forward uh, with these interests? You know, in regular evangelistic meetings, uh, many times when the meeting is over, our people just say, man, now I can get my life back. I can go back to Nora, <laughs> watch my evening program or uh-huh. 3 a.m. or whatever. But really, we're told in Spirit of Prophecy that that's when the work actually begins, Mm. is at the end of that series, and and certainly during the series, but the follow-up. There's a whole host of things that need to happen. They need to be uh, studied with. They need to be visited. They need to be prayed with. They need to have their questions answered. So that work, really, at the end of that series is just beginning. So yes, inviting them to church, but if they come to church... Not just saying, well, they're here. So, we won! <laughs> you know, I, I did my, I, I'll tell them about potluck, and then yeah. I'll, I'll done my duty, you know. But we want to engage them. We want to invite them to our homes. We want to establish personal Bible studies with them. Mm-hmm. We want to invite them to maybe the, the New Believer Sabbath School class. Yes. We want them to be engaging in the things um, in the church on the Internet. You know, mm-hmm. they may have different things. There's all kinds of things that we can invite them to. If they have children, we can start telling them about Pathfinders and Adventurers. Um, but we, we have to engage them and continue those personal Bible studies. Now, I've also talked to a lot of pastors who have said, you know, uh, we have interests from Jesus on prophecy mm. that are emerging now. They kind of disappeared. They fell off the radar. But since this whole thing has come out, yeah. they, they've called us. They've called the pastor and said, I want to resume Bible studies. Or, you know, I made that decision for baptism but didn't follow through. Now I want to be baptized. Amen. So there's a whole crop of people that potentially will be ready for baptism. And so wow. once those are baptized, we want to follow up with the discipleship process using the discipleship handbook. So there's lots of work to do now, and there's mm-hmm. going to be lots of work to do as we come out of the ban and the social yes. distancing so we cannot just lighten up and, and, and we have to press forward. Mm-hmm. And it's so important. You know, we can get used to not talking to people through this or not engaging in people or engaging with them only electronically. But that moment's going to come and the Lord is telling us mm. we have to have that personal face-to-face work because that's what's going to really warm their hearts and, and win them. And mm. so that has to be the thing that we're prepared to do. Uh, we're doing it now as we can, but especially... In the future, we have to we have to really be into it for sure. So what I'm hearing you say is right now, like Pastor Bradshaw is preaching those messages, all the big digital advertising, this big online right. push, and while there's connection being made now, it doesn't stop in the meetings. In in fact, the work will, as you said, only increase then increase. because we'll have more access, they'll have more yeah. questions, and it'll be a great time for individuals to be missionaries for Jesus. You know, I just had this thought. We we have over fourteen thousand names that are generated just here in Michigan. Mm. If you think about it, we have 27,000 church members on the books, Mm. but roughly about half of that in attendance. That's right. So roughly, that's one interest 
per for member. every attending every member. attending member across Michigan. Praise the Lord. And friends, I just want to invite you to be personally involved in this work. Don't just sit at home twiddling your thumbs, but get active and say, Lord, who can I reach? Reach out to your friends on social media, but plan to say, Lord, give me one of those names from mm. the Hope Awakened series so that we can be personally involved in that work, and God's going to bless us for it. Amen. Thank you so much Absolutely. for sharing what's happening, and we'll no hope problem. to see you again when we have more follow-up work to talk praise about. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Well, we praise the Lord for all the work that's going on in the mission of the church around the world across the conference through the education work, particularly as we highlighted this week, and even with those individual members following up with all those evangelistic interests that are currently being generated, we praise the Lord for all of the mission work that's going on. Amen. Pastor Howard, our mission would be incomplete if we didn't mention the message because our right. mission is a message to give to the world. Amen. <laughs> and our lesson this week uh, from our quarter two now about how to interpret scripture talks about the importance of the Protestant principle of sola scripture, or that we believe in the Bible, and the Bible mm -hmm. alone is the foundation of our faith. Now, it would be inappropriate to study the Bible without starting with a word of prayer, That's so right. could you lead us in an opening prayer this morning? Let's pray together. Our gracious Father in heaven, we are so thankful for another Sabbath day and the opportunity and the privilege we have to come together to worship and to give glory to you. Lord, we pray that the spirit of truth that inspired the writers of scripture would once again guide our study this morning. Give us an understanding in your word that will build our confidence and our trust in you as your people, that we would with our whole hearts implicitly follow the, the uh, counsel in your word. We thank you for hearing and answering as we pray it in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Now, we could go right into the lesson, but I think there was something that was on <laughs> yes. your mind already this week, isn't it? Well, you it? know, we have talked about how we are using this opportunity to do a little bit of a mo uh, modeling of, of mm -hmm. going through the lesson. And I guess this kind of speaks to the point. What I'm about to cover is not because we got some feedback from a viewer that said, you really need to do this, which tells us how entrenched we are. That no one noticed. In not... <laughs> memorizing the memory verse. Every lesson, and I know that our viewers have experienced this, and if, you, if you've done it yourself, don't Totally understandable. We've all been there. <laughs> We've been there. You go to the class, and almost every time, Cameron, what you hear, in fact, I've never heard different, is would somebody like to Read the memory <laughs> Read verse. Read the memory verse. Now, if our children's Sabbath school teachers did that, we'd be beside ourselves. <laughs> like, wait a minute, they're supposed to memorize. We've been working with them all week on That's that. Right. As adults, we need to be modeling this for our children if we're expecting them to Mercy. memorize. So, mm. I thought we need to start incorporating. Did you write the us a little verse. song? Because in our household, to help the children, <laughs> I, I write a little jingle every next, week. And maybe next, no, next I'm not, week, no, 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 you, do not hold me to this. No, we're not doing yeah, but, I like the idea. But the idea is, wait, you're right. We do this with our, in our house. That's part of our routine worship experience. We sing our memory verse. If song. I sang the memory verse song, they wouldn't come back. So, oh, okay. Let's but just I did work on memorizing. And I'll tell you, I have one of my biggest challenges with memorizing is I've learned things in the King James Version and then in the <laughs> New King James Version. And I get mixed up with the words. Okay. But let's go for this. And this is as preachers. You know, you quote texts a lot. So some of them, like a little this more one, familiar with it. The Word of God is living and powerful, mm -hmm. sharper than any two-edged sword to the, no, 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 see, now it's dividing asunder, and I'm getting that to, 
You can't say asunder. That's a King James term. <laughs> um, dividing between soul and spirit. Piercing. Piercing to the division, division of, of. Even to the division of. Soul yeah. and spirit of the joints and marrow mm -hmm. and as a discerner right. of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. Amen. 12. Amen. <laughs> so we're going to work on it and even fumble through maybe a little bit. Yeah. So you don't feel bad if you fumble through, but I really think yeah. this is a time in our history that we need to work on committing these Well, when the Bible memory. itself says to hide the word in our hearts, we should <laughs> probably right. take that seriously and do what it says. That's so. right. And of course, that text is speaking to us mm -hmm. about the authority of sola scriptura. Right. And sola scriptura, again, this is a, this is a term that's you know, not really used in everyday conversation. It's a very it's religious term. It's a Latin <laughs> term, right? But it simply means scripture alone. Yes. That it's the authority. And we, obviously, the whole quarter is about the scriptures and how to interpret it. And this week, we're going to talk about how the Bible is the sole uh, spiritual authority when it comes to the, I mean, I should yes. say the ultimate, the sole, in, a, in that sense, uh, yes. authority for all things Christians do. Well, one thing the lesson opens up with in the very first uh, paragraph on Sabbath afternoon's lesson is it says, in contrast to Roman, well, I want to comment, we talk about the Protestant principle, mm -hmm. and we're in a day and age where Protestantism is a dirty word. Yeah, it's you don't really hear like it that a, much a anymore. A Protestant is somebody who has some grudge they need to get over. It's church people who are fighting over petty little differences. Mm -hmm. That's how it's conveyed. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to, so for example, the lesson starts out with this paragraph. In contrast to Roman Catholic theology, which emphasized scripture and tradition, the Protestant faith emphasized the key word alone. That is, Scripture alone is the final authority when matters of faith and doctrine are at issue. It was the Bible that gave the decisive force and authority to the Protestant Reformation and its revolt against Rome and the errors it had been teaching for centuries. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and the last sentence there says, as Protestants, we must maintain the Bible as the ultimate doctrinal authority. Mm -hmm. So the idea of Protestantism well, and the idea of Protestantism, that, that word protest or Protestant was used several times in there. And obviously, it's one of the maxims of the Protestant Reformation is sola scriptura. It's one of its watchwords. But you think about what the, even the term Protestant means. It means to protest, That's to right. be against something. And the thing, or the things, plural, that the Protestant reformers were protesting about the Roman Catholic Church of its time was its error... And how do you know that it's wrong? How do you know that it was in error because it went against the Bible? There had to be a standard That's to be right, against. That's right, to test it by. And something else that needs to be brought out that we need to keep in mind is the idea of a reformer. A reformer is somebody who tries to change something that they're a part of mm -hmm. as a rule. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that the Protestant reformers were Catholics. Everybody so today the mindset is in the, and I'm not saying that there hasn't been, been uh, things throughout history between on the Catholic side or Protestant side that has been unchristian. Sure. But when you go back to the Reformation itself, these were people, these were people throwing stones at another church. There was only one church in town. <laughs> right. It well, was, and even the word Catholic means universal. That's it right. is the one true church but as they understood were it. But these often leaders in that church, in the Church of Rome, who took issue with the idea that the church was more and more adopting the idea that tradition was on equal footing with scripture. And they said, we can't, we mm -hmm. protest this. Mm -hmm. And then it eventually developed, of course, not only was there the Bible, and then the Bible and tradition. Yes. And then what happens when those two don't come? Well, then tradition 
takes the lead over the scripture. That's right. And as that developed more and more clearly that when they started exposing the errors of the Catholic Church to the truth of God's word, they said, this is too, f- we, we have to reform right. and get back in harmony with the standard, which is scripture. Right. And, uh, and so uh, one of the questions I had in, my note, in our note was, uh, what exactly was the protest? And in the book, Great Controversy, it actually is, I'm going to share a quote, you'll see it on the screen, from the historian uh, Daubigny, where he's quoting the actual protest at the German Diet of Spires, mm-hmm. where, where the name Protestantism was birthed. I'd encourage you to read the chapter, The Protest of the Princes. It's phenomenal. Yeah, f- fantastic. We're just giving a little thumbnail of this. But it says, we are resolved with the grace of God to maintain the pure and exclusive preaching of his only word, such as it is contained in the biblical books of the Old and New Testaments, without adding anything thereto that may be contrary to it. This word is the only truth. It is the sure rule of all doctrine and of all life and can never fail or deceive us. He who builds on this foundation shall stand against all the powers of hell while all the human vanities that are set up against it shall fall before the face of God. Mm. And then Daubigny himself comments, the principles contained in this celebrated protest constitute the very essence of Protestantism. Right. This was the protest that they made them protested Protestants. against ma- making anything else the foundation but the scripture. Right. Which, from our perspective, we would say, oh, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, of course. The, but what a revolutionary idea yes. it was when for centuries it was taught that the tradition and the history of the church and the teachings of the popes but they said, Which no, 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 no. is still a teaching of the Church of it Rome. It still is, but to them, that was, that was right. literally a life or death issue. Oh, yes. We're going to take the Word of God as the ultimate standard for all faith. Oh, no, and you read about this account. I mean, the, the men who stood for this mm-hmm. were risking their very lives to do so. Right. And so we shouldn't take the banner of Protestantism lightly and be no. like, oh, it's just a historical thing. No, it's still a living principle that we still need to stand on that Word of God as they did then. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the lesson goes into um, different aspects of the, the uh, scripture alone. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's a, and, and the first thing is kind of a review of what we talked about last week when we finished up our lesson. We talked about the influence of uh, tradition and the influence of experience and culture, culture and reason. And, even. And, yeah. Yes, and reason. And how those things can never serve as the basis or the foundation. They're all... Um, transitory. Mm-hmm. Scripture is consistent. God says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And it, His Word, you know, provides that foundation. So the lesson again, we'll try to bring that out, just summarizing, and maybe we'll look at a couple passages here. First sure. uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Now there's a whole passage the lesson brings out here, but we're just going to look at verse 6 and get the gist of what uh, Paul is saying and what the authors of our quarterly were, were getting at. First Corinthians 4, and verse 6. Okay. The Bible says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none mm. of you may be, uh, may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. So Paul counsels the Corinthian church not to think beyond what is written. And mm. I like how the New Century Version translates this. Uh, it says, so you could learn through us the meaning of the saying, follow only what is written in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Don't go beyond what is written. Mm-hmm. So Paul here is 
laying out the principle that we've already looked at, that scripture needs to be the foundation for the Christian and the rule of faith. And to go beyond that is going into dangerous territory. Now, you, interestingly enough, you just quoted this passage and then you said, I like how the New Century Version yes. renders it, which will automatically lead, not just a few, I'm sure, but many to say, well, wait a minute, what about Bible translations? You mentioned mm -hmm. the King James, you memorize, and then you learn from the New King James. Now you brought a new <laughs> Now we've already had in this lesson reference <laughs> to three right. different Bible translations. And, you know, on Sunday's lesson in the second paragraph there, it, it brings out some important, mm. helpful insights. It says, not to go beyond what is written does not exclude insights from other fields of study, such as biblical archaeology or history. Other fields may shed light on some biblical aspects in the background of scriptural passages and thus may help us to understand the biblical text better. Nor does it exclude the help of other resources in the task of interpre interpretation, such as lexicons, dictionaries, concordances, and other books and commentaries. So to put it in this way, a good helpful dictionary or lexicon or even a different translation of the Bible is not a violation of sola scriptura, right. right? These are helpful tools to help us understand what the Bible is saying. That's right. Well, last week we looked at Revelation 22 where mm -hmm. it says, you know, that talks about the one who adds to or takes away from the words written yes. in this book and the curse of God will be against that person. And I've had people walk away from that and say that using any word that isn't in the Bible Sure. And, and I'm, I'm going to get in a little trouble here. You talked about Bible translations, yeah. but if, if we wanted to really play that card, then we'd all be having to read in the Hebrew and in the Greek. Well, and a little bit of Aramaic. Even the King James is a translation right. from those original And so, for example, right? if, if adding to the words of Scripture, I mean, that would indict every pastor yep. who's ever been, every Christian author, mm -hmm. right? Any, if, if adding to the word is using a word that isn't already in there, right. you, couldn't use, you couldn't have a translation, even the King James translation, you'd have yeah. to, it'd have to be in Greek and what have you. Well, you'll hear people say things like, uh, like the word millennium's not even found in the Bible. Right. Well, but clearly the concept is taught, right? right? And this is the point is, as we've covered earlier, the Bible was not verbally dictated by God, but there was thought right. inspiration and it's the, co the concepts are what's the important key. Well, I, f I find it interesting in that quote we read from the Diet of Spires with mm -hmm. the protest of those German princes where it, 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 that we just read where they said, um, I'm looking for the, the place again, without adding anything thereto that may be contrary to it. Right. In other words, it's not that I can't expound on the right. word. Right, I can't have commentary the about it. The point of yeah. sola scriptura wasn't that you can't explain it, but that you don't go contrary to it. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, in, the, in the book of Nehemiah, whenever they had the gathering at the wall, right? They, they read from the Bible, or the scriptures, right? Right. And then what did they do in the <laughs> afternoon? They <laughs> broke into small groups and they gave the sense. They yes, explained it. So that's, that's right. not adding to, it's clarifying. And that's a responsibility Absolutely. we have to do, of course. Now... Uh, the lesson continues. We could go down that hole a long way, but we, yeah, we want to come right. back out of that and, and go back to the We've main idea. We've got a lot to cover. Here. Yes, we do. Uh, the unifying power of Scripture. What's yes. the, what the unity of Scripture testifies to its divinity, uh, its divine origin, and it, 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 it's a tool in itself to help us understand it. Well, we've talked about this a little bit, and we'll see this even as we go on into rules of interpretation, but... Um, it's really fascinating when you think about a book that's been written over a span of 1,500 years and the fact that there's a consistent thread 
and maybe, you know, if I were to say there's a consistent thread in the Old Testament, people would say, oh yeah, sure, and in the New Testament, but there's a mindset in much of Christianity, and we've touched on this, and the idea of dispensationalism, like Old Testament times were then, and then there are New Testament times, and that's for us now, mm -hmm. as if there's some kind of disagreement. In fact, the Apostle Paul is almost seen by some Christians as, as like his entire ministry is rebutting the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. Like there doesn't need to be a devil. He just rebuts what God said in the Old Testament. Mercy. And yeah, mercy. And so, um, for example, the text that comes to my mind is Acts 24, verse 14. Now this, mm -hmm. um, this is interesting. It's, this is the Apostle Paul and Acts 24, for, uh, verse 14. Mm -hmm. He affirms his wholehearted support for Old Testament scripture. Um, Do you have it? Do you want me to go ahead and read? I have it, but go ahead and read that. Okay, twenty four fourteen, the Book of Acts. Says, In fact, why don't we? Why don't you go back to? They've got their their the, the, the folks have brought Paul before uh, the Roman governor, and they're accusing him. And look at verse uh, twelve. Go twelve to okay. fourteen. And they neither found in the, found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Now, let that settle in. That's an amazing... So they're accusing this him. And if you read the testimony. passage... Yeah. They're accusing him of making a new religion. Right. Or and denying and going they against. Can't. Right. Now look, if he was teaching that there's a new Sabbath, if he was teaching that you really don't have to obey the Old Testament, he couldn't They'd say. They'd be right in their accusation. Nor yeah. can they prove any of these things. They'd prove a whole lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. They cannot prove any of the things which now accuse me. But I confess to you, I believe all things that were written in the... Right. But what the, the, the problem was they were not understanding those Old Testament teachings in the light of the gospel. Right. So his and work of clarifying and applying those was not a negation of them, and it certainly no. wasn't, a, you know, re refuting of them. It was actually a support of them. It was trying to give the, the full sense of it to the people. That's right. And so the idea is if you go throughout Scripture, you will find an internal consistency among the, the, the different generations that wrote, mm -hmm. among the different backgrounds of the writers, yes. you'll find a consistent message throughout. And that unity lends to the Bible's ability as we're going to go on to discuss, to unify us. Right. There's agreement inside of Scripture that's incredible. But there was something you were saying as we were talking about this, about how sola scriptura leads. Mm -hmm. Yes, because well, to tota scripture yes. is what I was saying. And the idea being that, and that was brought out in the lesson too. In fact, it just kind of mentions it at the bottom of Monday's lesson. The unity of Scripture also implies that all of Scripture, that is tota scriptura, should be taken into consideration when we study a biblical subject rather than building our teaching only on isolated statements. And the idea being, okay, let's, let's play this tape to the end. If you have the premise that my only rule, my trustworthy standard is the Bible itself, mm -hmm. okay? And then you start reading, say, oh, I'm going to be a New Testament person. But those New Testament <laughs> figures, like, say, Jesus or yes. the Apostle Paul, consistently not just refer back to, but explicitly affirm Old Testament scriptures. The Psalms, right. Moses, the prophets, the creation story, uh, marriage, the flood. You can go on and on and on. You realize very quickly that if I'm going to trust that the scripture is my highest authority, then it itself uses all of Scripture as that authority. So sola scriptura leads automatically to tota scripture. It's yeah, got to be only the Scripture and all of Scripture if it's going to mean anything at all. 
That's right. So you you have uh, uh, this the consistent thread through Scripture, and I like that point. <laughs> what good would Scripture be? I think of the passage in First Corinthians fourteen where it says, "God is not the author of confusion, but the author of peace." Mm. What would it? What would the Bible be if everybody was saying something different? <laughs> I mean, we were in a world full of a, 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 an ocean of opinions. That's all I need is more opinions. Mercy. So mercy. you have the Bible's giving a consistent thing, mm-hmm. that, that, that a standard that is unified, and that unity has the ability to unify us. Now, you had mentioned mm-hmm. the idea of, of going through the Scripture and the need to read Throughout Scripture, total yes. Scripture. Yes. Um, that makes me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And let's look there. Okay. At 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 13. And the Apostle Paul gives us some good counsel here when it comes to uh, the study of spiritual things. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Notice, comparing spiritual things with spiritual He Mm. gives the reason in verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Mm. So he tells us here that spiritual truth is is different, and only the Holy Spirit can help us understand it. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps us understand truth is by taking something spiritual, the Word of God, and comparing it with other parts of the Word of God, as it's Mm -hmm. all a spiritual Mm -hmm. book, and letting the Bible become its own interpreter. Exactly. That was the point, is that the Scripture interprets itself. And it has to be unified. It has to be old and new working together in a, in a comprehensive whole in order for that to even function. Right. Right. But if that is true, if the Bible alone is our authority and all of Scripture is part of that biblical testimony, and we're trying to seek out truth from it, then what it says in the New Testament should be uh, complemented and uh, ex- ex- expounded upon in other parts of the scripture, and it shouldn't be competing, but should be right. complementing, right? It should be filling out the picture. So you wouldn't, as you talked about, you wouldn't expect the message to become more convoluted the more you study scripture and compare this to that, here a little, there a little, you know, that you actually come to a clearer understanding that the Bible is its own interpreter. That's right. Well, one good example is the thief on the cross. Exactly. Jesus' expression to him. Now, you were talking about that a little earlier. Yeah, you can find this in Luke chapter 23. If you want to turn there very quickly, uh, Jesus, of course, here in the very last moments of his earthly life has one last personal ministry encounter. And if there's something I can say about Jesus, he wasn't just about the big public work. He was all about personal work, right? right. And here he is hanging on the cross and he has this interaction with one of the thieves on the cross, right? Uh, And Jesus turns to him when he confesses his faith in Jesus. He says in verse 43, and Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. And now I just read that exactly as the punctuation demands. And you that's can't right. say, well, that's a new King James reading. I guarantee you, look it up in the King James <laughs> Version, look up the New American Standard Bible. You go yes. on and on and on. But as Seventh-day Adventists, we have absolute trust and confidence that Jesus didn't mean exactly what it seems to say. That's right. Because we would say, well, wait a minute. That could be read another way. The comma is in the wrong place. Punctuation was added later for clarification, but in this case, it adds confusion. So what do you do, Mark? And somebody would say, well, how can you just go out on that, right. that limb because you're you just, just picking and choosing what you, exactly. And so how, the question does, this is a great example. What do you do if you have a passage that could be read one way or could be read another? 
you could take that and say, well, see, there is the truth about the state of the dead as it reads this way or the other way. Well, I like to refer to this uh, as the fence post principle. Mm -hmm. If you have a fence post that's a little loose, it could be leaning one way or another on its own. You say, I want to buttress this up. I want to make it solid. But you don't just lean it whichever is most comfortable to you and stick more dirt in the ground. What you do is you step back and look down the long line and say, wait a minute, what are the other passages or fence posts that speak to the same issue and how do they line up? And I'll harmonize this one according to them. The scripture is that line of fence posts to say, all right, let's let's reserve judgment and say, we're not quite sure what Jesus was saying there, but let's look at the context. Did he actually go to heaven that day? What does the rest of the story Mm -hmm. tell us? Did he go to heaven or did he go to the grave? And what does the Bible teach about the state of man and death? And as you fill that picture out, it becomes inescapably clear exactly what Jesus meant even though the punctuation remains, we know the meaning is consistent. That's right. And we were, you know, uh, uh, the text that comes to my mind is John 20, where Jesus himself, after his resurrection, mm-hmm. uh, after the, you know, on, on Sunday morning, two mm-hmm. days later, says, I have not yet ascended to my father. Right. Well, obviously he couldn't have told that thief, you will be with me in paradise today, today when right. he wasn't there till two days later. Right. And so things like that, again, that's just an example of reading through scripture and allowing the totality of scripture to bring understanding. Exactly. And the, and the fact that scripture is unified like that allows for that kind of scripture to interpret itself process to go forward. Incidentally, uh, something that we discussed as well is the idea of, in other words, when we're talking about comparing scripture with scripture, we're, we're talking about letting the scripture prove what is true, what is right. Oh, that's a loaded and word. And there's a term, well, there's a term that's called proof texting, and I hate to say it in recent generations, uh, I've heard this, this uh, people will say that anytime you use a text to prove something, you're proof texting something. <laughs> and and maybe you have heard the term, and maybe yes. you've had, anyway, the the, the, the term proof texting in theology literally means taking texts out of context to make them prove what they're not saying. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean using a text to prove something. If that were the case, Jesus did it all the time. Mm-hmm. Have you not read what is written, thus and so? And, and he, he just would quotes have, scripture right. as though it was... A proof. proof texting would be taking that passage in Luke that mm-hmm. you just mentioned and not looking over to the Gospel and of saying, John. And saying, now we not know looking that the state of the... Right. Yeah. And is trying to establish it so... Just be clear, there's nothing wrong with allowing the Bible to prove a point. Mm-hmm. There's everything right with it. Um, right. Not just for the sake of proving a point, mm-hmm. but to establish truth so we can better serve the Lord. Right, but the text must be understood in its context. Yes. How's the saying? A text away from its context is a pretext, right? right? You're using it as a, as a way to get away from the meaning of Scripture instead of derive the meaning from the Scripture. Right. That's an important distinction. Now, we're talking about uh, the unity of the Scripture and mm-hmm. its ability of, in being consistent like that to unify us. And I'd be remiss if I didn't take us to John 17. And this mm-hmm. is a passage that uh, is quoted a lot that many of our viewers are probably familiar with. But I want us to think it through a little bit. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, these are the words of Jesus. And he's praying to his father. And he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Now, that word sanctify literally means to set apart mm-hmm. um, for a holy purpose. But to set it apart. Now, keep that in mind. Sanctify. Set them apart. He's praying for his disciples. Mm-hmm. Not just the, the, the 12, but the ones who would believe on him throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, time. Set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. 
How does the Word of God set one person apart from another? How would the Word of God set me apart from you or somebody else? Well, it wouldn't unless one of us followed it and the other one right. didn't. There's, <laughs> only, there's only one way the Word can set me apart. and It's not in my thinking. It's whether or not I'm going to follow it. Mm. And so when you think about that, that, we're talking about the unifying power of Scripture. If you read the Bible and you believe this is the Word of God to the point that you are going to put in practice what you read, and when the Bible tells you to do A, B, and C, you do A, B, and C. And I read my Bible, and the Bible tells me to do A, B, and C, and I choose to do A, B, and C. What that's going to do is it's going to unify you and me. We're going to start coming together to a oneness because we're allowing the Scripture mm -hmm. to align us with Scripture. And that oneness is exactly what was the burden of Jesus' prayer in John that's 17, exactly right. that they all may be one, right? And how are we brought into the unity of the faith? But it's if you want to follow A, B, and C, and I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that, there is no way we're going to have unity. And if the Bible is a bunch of varied opinions and there's no consistency, mm. in fact, if it's contradictory, how would that ever bring unity? Mm. Right? The Bible says, well, one author says this and one author says that. Well, I'm going to follow Paul and you're going to follow, right? Yeah. And we follow these different people and think, and it would take us down different paths if there wasn't the consistency of Scripture. So praise God for that, unif that, that consistency and unity in the message of Scripture. Mercy. Well, that's so true. But now let's take it to the next level then yeah. because, okay, understanding the Bible and um, applying it in our lives brings unity of the faith, right? But what if I can't understand the Bible? Does that yeah. mean that I'm like, okay, I will follow what those who understand the Bible say. Or is it possible for me to have direct, direct access to the Word of God? I mean, we see this I'm, coming in all the time, I'm don't we? I'm thinking about how to comment on this quickly. There's <laughs> okay. so much to say, but I mean, we can look back at the period of time called the Dark Ages. And they were called the Dark Ages because the Bible was withheld from the people. There mm -hmm. was no light of truth. Mm -hmm. You were subjected to only what the priest would teach you, mm -hmm. right? The religious leaders. People couldn't read the Bible in their own language. And so when the Protestant Reformation came, the emphasis on scripture, the printing press, the putting the scripture in the language of the common people, it, that, that was what fueled was the Reformation. Yeah. It was revolutionary, absolutely. And so to think that what has happened is, you know, to think there was an age where the Bible was withheld from people. Mm. And we come down to our age, and I hate to say it, but for many Bible-believing Christians, they say, ah, oh, it's too complicated. I'm just going to listen to what my pastor tells me. Mm. He understands that I don't. We have effectively taken the Bible out of the hands of the people by convincing them Mercy. that it's too complicated to understand. Mm. And... Uh, I want to go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 19, and share a passage there that I think brings a lot of hope to me and should to our viewers as well. Psalm 19, and notice what David says here in verse 7. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making what? Making wise, Making wise the, simple. the simple. In other words, the simple, the one who, who doesn't understand things as well, mm. is made wise by the testimony of the Lord, is made wise by the scripture. Go to Psalm 119, verses 99 and 100, and you'll find a similar um, idea. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 99 and 100. Okay. The psalmist says, 
I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. So he speaks here in terms of, in fact, we could go to Psalm 191, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word brings light. It gives understanding even to the simple, which is what David says in another psalm. Mm-hmm. Well, and we could go on, and you're right, because there's so many scriptural references for this, but, you know, I was, I'm, I'm thinking back in my own experience. I watched a TV show one time, and there was a conversation that was being had uh, by one person to another, of course, and, and the one said, do you believe the Bible to be literally true? And the answer mm-hmm. given was, yes, but I don't think either of us is smart enough to understand it. And it sounded <laughs> yes. so like, oh, deep, and, but, and I thought, but wait a minute, why would God go to all the trouble of exactly. writing a book, giving it to us, and then be like, I can't read it. Be like, oh, well, I didn't think about how you, why would you, the purpose of words is to That's communicate right. ideas. The Bible is a revelation of the will of right, God, not a concealing of the will of God. <laughs> exactly. Look, here's a book, and you can't and read can't it. can't read it. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> right. So, but we effectively, as you say, do that. Whenever we look at a difficult, and I and talk about controversy, and I don't want to get into it, but even in our own church in recent years, we've studied out difficult topics. And I've had more than one person come up to me and say, like, I just wish they'd get a, a group of our scholars together and just tell us what it means. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the worst possible idea. Exactly. Like, don't we want open source study where there's no private interpretation? Just every man can look at it for himself. Yeah, nothing negative against scholarship, but yeah, of course not. the Bible was written for the common person. Yes. Makes me think of the Reformation when it was, I think it I think was William it was Tyndall, Tyndall yeah. who said, I'm going to make, told the religious leaders, all these scholars, I'm going to make it so a boy who drives the plow, yes. a common working boy, will know more of the scriptures than you do. That's so true. That the idea is that God wrote the Bible for the common person. Even I, the Bible tells us in, in uh, uh, the Gospel of Mark, is it? 12 verse 37, where the Bible tells us that even the common people heard Jesus gladly. Mm. They, they heard him, they understood him, and the lesson brings out passages, we're not going to take the time to look at them, but just referring uh, Matthew 12, 21, 42, mm-hmm. Matthew 12, 3, Matthew and verse 5, Matthew 19, verse 4, Matthew 22, 31. In every one of these cases, Jesus makes a comment like, um, have you not, have you not read? read? Yeah. Have you not read? In other words, the point is brought up, a question is brought up, and Jesus' response is, have you not read as if, number one, they should have read. Yeah. It should have been up. And number two, the reading, the, 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 the whatever was written was plain enough to be understood. That you could have understood it before even coming to this the, conversation. The expectation yeah. was if you've read it, Jesus didn't say, did you understand? He said, have you not read? Yeah. The, the idea was if you've read it, surely you understand it. It's just so simple a child can understand right. it. That's and the allegorical approach is what we kind of referred to earlier in the lesson, and we're kind of going back a little bit, but that was yes. one of the Roman Catholic things too, is the idea of, well, there is what the words say, but then there's this mystical meaning beyond the words, right? Yes. And there's one of the great Protestant, not only the sola scripture, but the straight reading of sola scripture, that just, it means what it says, unless it uses an obvious symbol. Well, in yes, fact, the, the handbook that... of SDA theology is quoted, and it's page 65, it says, the consistent example of the Bible writer shows that the scriptures are to be taken in their plain, literal sense, unless a clear and obvious figure is intended. That's right. So just pick it up and read it as it reads. And one of the reasons we're even having this discussion is we've talked about how there are many Christian scholars, higher critical scholars, who don't believe anything supernatural in the mm-hmm. Bible. And they have explanations to explain them. Wait, it makes me think of a story of a, of a new Christian man. Mm-hmm. He was in a park and he was on a park bench reading through the Bible. And he's, he gets all excited about something right at this time where a skeptic is walking mm-hmm. by. 
the guy's like, oh, um, that's awesome, that's amazing. And the skeptic's like, he looks at him, he sees him reading the Bible. He says, well, you reading the Bible? What are you reading? He said, I've just read the story about how God parted the Red Sea and, and took his people to, they, 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 he, he saved them through the Red Sea. Mm. They all marched through the sea, the waters parted. And the guy laughs a little bit and he says, look, that wasn't, that wasn't the Red Sea. Scholars today know that that was actually something we call the Sea of Reeds. It's a marshy area that water's only about six inches deep. Mm. So get over it, you know. Well, <clears throat> kind of burst the guy's bubble a little <laughs> bit. Imagine, yeah. He's a little bit, uh, oh, okay, I, guess, I guess I don't know a whole lot. I'm kind of a simple-minded guy. And the skeptic starts walking down the, the sidewalk past the bench, just feeling real up on himself. <laughs> He's done a great deed for the day. When he hears, praise the Lord, amen, praise God. And he's like, he has to go back. And he goes to the guy and he says, what are you, what are you, what are you reading there? Didn't I just tell you it was the Sea of Reeds and it was six inches of water? He says, yeah, God just drowned the whole Egyptian army in six inches of water. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea just contrasts yeah. the, the scholarly look who wants to, you know, t I want to take everything supernatural out of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And yet there are examples just like that that God puts in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So when the skeptic approaches it, okay, six inches, but wait a minute, if it was six inches of water, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. Just to give us confidence that, look, the story is literal. Right. It happened like God said yes. it. Unless it, it clearly employs a symbol, which there are right. places that do in prophecy and whatever yeah, else. But yeah. there are plenty of examples of powerful miracles that are just that, bona exactly. fide. And even and that would what you're describing there with the discrediting of all supernatural activity. Yes. You do, praise the Lord. You don't really find that as a, as a you know plague within the Seventh Adventist Church. Most Seventh Adventists hold to a very high view of Scripture that yes. it is fully. But even within that, there can be elements of that critical mindset coming in. It's like, well, I mean, I know, but Moses really didn't have the scientific data that we have today. So mm -hmm. it doesn't like completely throw it out, but it kind of <clears throat> discredits it in shades, right? He maybe he meant just eons of time, or maybe the flood wasn't really global, but it did happen, but it was local. Or maybe Paul was culturally conditioned, and that's why he writes mm -hmm. as he And you see that critical element. That's right. Not discrediting all, but casting doubt Putting upon. enough doubt upon it right. that I can walk away with my conscience blunted. That's right. <laughs> when I don't want something to be what it's saying. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. I think that was because he was writing to the culture, right? right, right. It opens a door. Yeah, but Jesus, have you not read? He expected us to look at the Bible and understand its plain Take meaning it as it and reads. then apply it in our lives. And it's just that simple, you know. Anyway, we got to move on. Well, but, yeah, <laughs> and the lesson moves in. And, and, and one of the last things we'll look at here is the relation between the Bible and Ellen White. Oh, yes. And especially for Seventh-day Adventists. And this has been quite a discussion, not just from outside the church, but inside the church. We get confused because we're like, wait, wait a minute, we're saying the Bible and the Bible only. And I've had Seventh-day Adventists approach me. Well, why do we say the Bible and the Bible only? But then we have the Bible and Ellen White. Right. And she's like a second Bible. And we hear this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, and that is, you're exactly right. Um, whenever we you know, have an evangelistic campaign, we want to make sure to bring in those distinctives of Sabbath and the sanctuary message and the second coming. And one of those S's of Adventism is the spirit of prophecy as manifested in the life and ministry of Ellen G. White. But automatically it throws into, wait a minute, we just learned everything else from the Bible. And now there's this other source? Think of a treasure, treasure map, right? And if, it's, if you're following all the directions and then one of the last directions it says, now go see the man who's standing under the tree and ask him for directions, right? And if you go to the man, you ask him for directions, he tells you what to do and you say, well, I'm not listening to you. I go by the map and the map only. Right. 
Well, it can sound very noble and very pious, but if the map told you listen to the man and you discredit the man, you're in essence discrediting the map itself, right? Uh, right. This is exactly how the spirit of prophecy was given to us, not to be a replacement for or uh, to take the... Uh, to take the authority away from scripture or to be a new scripture that somehow, you know, refutes the old. It's never intended to be that. But when the Bible itself says things like, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit at all, uh, all people, hey, your young men shall dream dreams, your young women, you start going down the list of all those things that the Bible tells us to watch for. And then we see the fulfillment to not follow what the Bible said to watch for is not only to discredit the, the one claiming to be the prophetic messenger, but it's also discrediting the Bible that said to watch for it. That's right. We, we, Seventh-day Adventists, we don't believe in the spirit of prophecy as an addition. Absolutely not. We believe not. in it because the Bible said to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we're bound by Scripture to believe yeah. all that is in the Scripture. You know, it's interesting. It makes me think of a passage in John 9 where the man born blind was, was uh, questioned by the religious leaders who healed him. And, of course, he tells them about Jesus and what have you. Anyway, um, they keep pressing him. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they don't want to believe that he did it. And we're in John 9, verse 27, um, verse 26, actually. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They <laughs> Which, <were happy> <laughs> I'm guessing that didn't go over too Then well. they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. Now, mm. I don't know that our viewers are going to pick it up right away, but to them, Moses was Scripture, and Jesus was outside of Scripture. Mm. In fact, they referred to him as a prophet, mighty in word and deed, if you go mm. back to Acts and the road to Emmaus. So here Jesus was outside, and they said, we believe the Bible, and the Bible only, and we don't need this Jesus. Mercy. That was their claim. That's right. In essence, and it was Jesus last week we looked at, uh, was it John chapter 5, I where he so, yeah. says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote of me. Exactly. And I would dare say, if you believe in the Bible, then you believe in Ellen White because the Bible wrote of Ellen White. That's right. Now, of course, it didn't use her name, last days. Of course, no, but of it told not. us that the Spirit would be poured out and to not quench the Spirit, but to test all things and well, it tells us how to evaluate this. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the idea. I want to I talk about the function of and how this ties into okay. Scripture because people say, well, then, then you're making Ellen White another Bible. Yeah. No, we're not. And um, there's, a, there's a, in fact, Ellen White herself in the lesson brings this out, made the statement that she referred to herself as a lesser light mm -hmm. leading to the greater light. And as I make my way around the Adventist church, I, most people are acquainted with that phrase, but I find that many of them are not acquainted with the fact that that's just a quote from Scripture. Ellen White often used scriptural allusions, and that comes from Genesis chapter 1, and it really gives us clarity on that. Uh, it's an excellent um, point that Ellen White was making to describe the function of her ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Genesis, what did I say, chapter 1, verse, chapter if you go one. to verse 16, mm -hmm. this is what the Bible says. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, what light is that? That would be the sun. That's the sun. And the lesser light to rule the night. That would be the moon. That would be the moon. And, and so she says a lesser light. Her ministry was like a lesser light leading to the greater light. Now let's take this scriptural example. Mm -hmm. How much light does the sun have? A lot. Uh, yes. <laughs> How much light does the moon have? 
None. Technically not at all. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, there's there's technical, but the moon reflects right. The only the light, light that it has sun. is the light of the sun. Now right. let's go to another passage. We're not going to look it up, but we've referred to it. Isaiah eight twenty to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Now that phrase that's an old, that's an Old Testament passage. Isaiah eight twenty. Um, the law, the word in the Hebrew is Torah. The Torah is understood to be the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the word Torah literally means instruction. And in the Hebrew mind, the, the, the writings of Moses was the original Bible. That was God's instruction to the people of Israel. Mm. But they didn't always follow it. And so then God would raise up prophets. And the role of the prophet was to point back to the instruction that they were claiming to follow, but were not. Mm -hmm. Wasn't for a new rule of faith to come up with, okay, you didn't follow that, let me give you whole, something totally right. new. But it was to point back. So the law and the prophets were a companion ministry, the law and the testimony. And of course, now the prophets have, have found themselves in the writings of scripture. But just to understand that role, that, that's the same idea that's being conveyed with a lesser light leading to the greater. Mm -hmm. It's reflecting the light of scripture, pointing back to scripture, Ellen White understood her ministry not as creating a new rule of faith, but pointing back to the established rule in Scripture. Mm -hmm. And there's a statement that we had uh, uh, here that we have here from Early Writings, page 78, where she makes this point. <clears throat> she says, Ellen White writing here, I recommend to you, dear reader, the Word of God as the rule of your faith and practice. By that word, we are to be judged. God has, in that word, promised to give visions in the last days, not for a new rule of faith, but for the comfort of his people and to correct those who err from Bible truth. Thus God dealt with Peter when he was about to send him to preach to the Gentiles, which that whole story is yeah. a good illustration of this. We're not going to go there now. But, mm -hmm. but notice that one of the functions that she highlights in this is that it's not just to give comfort and to encouragement, but to give correction from right. those who err from Bible truth. So while it is true, of course, that we make the Bible the standard of all things, we need the messenger of the Lord to correct our understanding of the Bible and to make proper application of it in our lives. So whenever I talk about the spirit of prophecy, I, of course, I'm very clear, this is not like a, another, a newer testament or something like that. And it certainly doesn't uh, refute or denounce anything from before, but, we need it as guidance from the Lord to correctly understand and apply God's truth to our lives today. That's right. Let's just be clear that had we lived in any age where God sent a prophet, he would have been in addition to scripture. Mm. When David sat on the throne and Nathan the prophet came to him, which incidentally David was a prophet. Mm. <laughs> David could have just said, hey, look, I'm a prophet. Don't be... <laughs> But Nathan had to come and expose something to David that he wouldn't have seen otherwise. Mm -hmm. Okay, Even though he knew the scripture, even though <laughs> he authored some of it. Yeah. But the point is that, that in every age, the prophet initially was besides the scripture. Mm. They're in addition to, in that same function that mm -hmm. we're talking about that Ellen White has. So it's no different than any other prophet. It's right. pointing back to the foundation of scripture as established, right. but pointing back with prophetic authority right. to Which be able goes back to correct. To, yes, it goes back to that lesser light understanding, yes. right? That the, Ellen White is lesser, not in source of inspiration, because it right. still comes from the Holy Spirit, and she has authority 
in our lives, but she's lesser in the fact that she's not trying to replace the scripture That's or in right. competition with scripture as a competing scripture, but her function is to lead us correctly and guide us in the application of scripture. So she's lesser than the Bible, like of course. Like all the Bible prophets did. Exactly. She's so not unique in that she sense. She is lesser than the scripture in that sense, but she's greater than me. That's right. She's, so, because I've said seen she's it lesser so than the times. scripture, but she's not lesser than the reader. Exactly. <laughs> and so, so the idea being that and people often invoke that term, oh, well, it's the lesser light, yeah. which means like, well, she's lesser, so I can kind of tweak it and modify it. No, 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 no. The purpose is to lead me to that greater light let's, and make sure I'm leading by it, living by it. Let's be clear that much of what we've been discussing here and in previous lessons is trying to stop Christians from trying to get around the Bible. Come on now. I mean, that's just yeah. really what we're talking about. All mm. of the higher criticism, when, it, when push comes to shove, what really is going on is... I don't want to have to conform my rebellious heart. Mm. I don't want to have to submit to the will of God. That's really what mm. it is. And God forbid, nobody's going to be lost for lack of opportunity. Mm. Nobody's going to be lost because God didn't make appeal after appeal, but because in the face of such love and such evidence, they just crossed their arms and said, no, nope, stiffen their necks, mm. cast the word of God behind them. Mm. Killed the, you know, to cast the law behind them, as it says in, yes. in uh, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and, and despise the prophets. Mm. So God is appealing to us to trust his word and let it bring that unity of the faith in our lives. That's yeah, such a powerful lesson. And, you know, we're running out of time in our, in our study today, but there's so many rich <coughs> things to take away from this, this week's study. But we certainly don't want to take away the lesson that we can't understand scripture because it was written for the common That's man. That's right. And it's not just some mystical thing that we have to have some fanciful interpretation. Just read it as it's written, apply it in your lives, and the spirit of prophecy is given to help in that application process so that when we come to that day of judgment, God will have, be able to rightly say, I've done everything possible. I gave you my living word, the son. I gave you the written word to lead you to him. Everything that could be done for your salvation has been done. And the scripture gives us all we need, as Paul would say to Timothy, to make us wise unto salvation. That's right. And uh, we wanted to finish up. We had a couple statements here from the pen of Ellen White. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would want to interject here also. It's interesting that sometimes when we have these discussions, the concern people have is, well, you're reading Ellen White instead of the Bible. And it's interesting. I think it was a 1980 study that was done at Andrews University of over 8,000 Seventh-day Adventists. And what they found from that study is the people that spent more time reading Ellen White's writings actually spent more time reading the Bible than mm. the people who didn't read Ellen White's writings. So they lead to scripture. And part of the reason is because of statements like these last two where mm -hmm. Ellen White, and th this is just a, I mean, this is a drop in the bucket of statements Ellen White makes about where she exalts scripture. Mm -hmm. This one, the first one is found in Ministry of Healing, page 260, I'm sorry, Messages to Young People, page 262. It says, the search for truth will reward the seeker at every turn. Now she's talking about searching for truth in the scripture, mm -hmm. study of the scripture. Mm -hmm. That's what she's talking about. And each discovery will open up richer fields for his investigation. Men are changed in accordance with what they contemplate. If commonplace thoughts and affairs take the attention, the man will become commonplace. The mind will enlarge if it is employed in tracing out the relation of the subjects of the Bible comparing scripture with scripture and spiritual things with spiritual. Mm. So there it just speaks to the power of scripture to, to transform the mind and the life. Mm -hmm. And then Ministry of Healing, page 465. 
Let the student take the Bible as his guide and stand firm for principle, that is, live out what it says, and he may aspire to any height of attainment. Oof, what a promise. Mm. What a beautiful thing. And friends, we need to go, but we hope and pray that not only have you enjoyed this lesson study, but the things that were brought out about the reliance of sola scriptura and tota scriptura and direct reading in the plain language, what God is saying to our hearts and by God's grace and by, through the leading of his messengers, applying those things in our lives that we will not, one of us, miss the great salvation he's offered, that Amen. we can grow in grace and become, by his grace, more and more like Jesus. As we close, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another rich study of your word and thank you for your word. Thank you for being a God who communicates and communicates clearly and consistently so that we can have no excuse in our life for not understanding your will and Lord, for giving us the Holy Spirit to enact those reforms that we need in our life that the scripture calls for. Please, Lord, help us to not only appreciate the scripture as interesting literature, but to take it really as it is, the living word of God written for our admonition that can actually change us into the very image of Jesus. So until we see Jesus come again, we ask that you would be with us and bless us, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.